It has been a difficult 10 days in the United States of America. It's been a difficult three months. It's been a difficult 2020. But for some in our nation, every day is a little bit harder than it is for others because of skin tone. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray through this story from Scripture that we will look at today, a story that we are told you gave in part to address the very issues that we're dealing with in our country right now, that we will learn to truly live out the song that we sang as children. All are precious in your sight, red and yellow and brown and black and white. Help us, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is to put Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story, with a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him naked and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and then also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring his own, pouring on him oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus then asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. There have been many texts rolling around in my head over the past week plus. But I landed on this text because it confronts, it challenges us. And specifically today, I, I want it to confront us in white America. Us that are, that are Christians, Caucasian Christians. That might bother you, but, but, but Ellen White said that in The Desire of Ages, she, she references the fact that, that Jesus in part told this story to confront the bigotry within the society at the time. So it was a story that Jesus gave to confront this very issue. 
I also am challenged by this story because it, it points us to the gospel because it paints a picture that none of us are able to accomplish without the grace and the mercy and the power of Jesus. We just read the text, so I'm not going to go through it again line by line, but, but let me give you a, a summary context of, of this moment with this lawyer and Jesus. The lawyer that approaches Jesus, he is looking for a way to trap Jesus. The Bible tells us this. In the end, though, the lawyer is actually the one is, who is trapped, so to speak, by his own questions. He asks the first question, how, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's thinking he's going to trap Jesus, but, but Jesus comes back at him. Jesus then answers him with a question, what does the law say? Jesus here isn't making provision for legalism. He's not making provision for, for salvation by one's own good deeds. But rather, he's, he's talking to a lawyer, so he's addressing the lawyer in lawyer speak. Michael Wilcox says that, refers to it as argumentum ad hominem, an argument to the man. What Jesus is doing is setting the man up to be confronted not just uh, to be confronted not just with the works of the law but to be confronted with the the heart of the law the lawyer wants to trap jesus but jesus is the far superior lawyer and he leads the man into the ultimate issue at hand his heart when this happens though the man finds himself defensive that's what we are reading in verse 29 but he desiring the lawyer desiring to justify himself said to jesus who is my neighbor asked the second question who is my neighbor the lawyer through his own answer that that you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and that you shall love the neighbor as yourself suddenly realizes that his own answer condemns him because it is not a standard that he has been living up to, nor one that he can live up to. He wants to justify his record, so to speak. He wants to justify his actions, so to speak. The Greek here that we use for the word justify is, is, is actually, in the Greek, conveys the idea of one seeking to excuse themselves. One seeking to excuse oneself, to make an excuse for the way we are being. That's what we do, isn't it? Isn't that what we do as, as humans? When someone confronts us with a hard truth, we either accept that truth or we try to excuse ourselves to get around that truth. But in trying to defend himself, the lawyer asks the second question, who is my neighbor? And now Jesus has him. Now Jesus is going to confront him with the heart of the matter. Jesus is about to show him that, that nothing will save him because he's going to show him a pattern that he can't live up to. But while nothing, the works that he can do will save him, if you do not live in this way, you can be pretty sure you aren't saved. Hear what I just said. Jesus is showing the man that nothing will save him but if the man is not living in a certain way, he can be pretty sure that he's not saved. That statement might bother you, 
And I'll tell you, it might bother you even more when I come back to it in a moment. Because through the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is about to not only confront the lawyer about what it really looks like to love the way Jesus calls us to love, but Jesus is going through this story to confront us as well. He's going to confront us in the white community about what it really looks like to love our black brother and brown brothers and sisters as well. Not just to not hate them, but to actually love them as Jesus calls us to do. So the story goes, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and, and robbers came upon him and they, they beat him and they stripped him naked and the Bible says that they left him there on the side of the road leaving him for half dead. Now by chance there was a priest going down the way and, and, and when he saw him he quickly passed by on the other side and a Levite also came by and he looked upon the man but he also passed by on the other side. Remember, the lawyer's original question was about the law. And so Jesus starts the story, the beginning of the story, Jesus provides us with two characters, two individuals that would be extremely familiar with the law. A priest and a Levite. Two individuals that we will call believers, followers of God. And these two men, listen to me, these two men did something very practical. They did something very practical. They kept the law. Do you hear what I said? They, they kept the law. The Bible tells us that the man looked half dead. We actually know what this looks like right now. At least many of us do. Because we've seen the video of George Floyd being pinned down by his neck under a police officer's knee. And we can tell at some moment that, that we can't tell whether he's dead or he's half dead. And we realize that half dead looks a lot like fully dead. And so the priest and the Levite could not be sure if the man they were passing by, was alive or dead. And so they decided to be safe and obey the letter of the law. Leviticus chapter 21 and verse 1 and Numbers chapter 19 and verse 11 both declare that if a priest or a Levite touches a dead person, they are unclean and for seven days they cannot participate in the temple services. They can no longer perform their tasks as servants of the temple so they keep the law by not making sure not to touch this man who might be dead the letter of the law i pondered some other reasons why they might have passed by and this is my imagination my my surmisings based on what i know of human nature what i know of myself could they have passed by because they didn't know the man and since the man is a stranger they don't feel any direct responsibility for him he's just someone they saw from a distance could they have passed by because it is a dangerous road and and they themselves don't want to get attacked they're they're in a neighborhood that 
that is unfamiliar, uncomfortable to them. They're, they're, they just want to get through the neighborhood quickly, and so they just keep their distance. Could they have passed by because they played no direct role in putting him in the situation that he was in? They weren't the ones that beat him. They weren't the ones that, that stripped him naked. They weren't the ones that oppressed him. So it's not their problem. So they pass by. Could it be that they passed by because they saw the man as getting what he deserved? You know, he shouldn't have been in this situation in the first place. William Barclay, uh, the commentator, actually indicates just such an idea. This is what he suspects is one of their reasons for passing by. He sees it as the man's own bad choices, that he is in the position that he is in. Barclay refers to the man lying there half dead or presumed dead by the priest and the Levite on the side of the road as an obviously foolish and reckless man. But whatever the reason, whether it was sticking to the letter of the law or lack of care or not feeling any personal responsibility or seeing the man was getting what he deserved, they chose to pass by. They chose silence in the face of pain and suffering. Jesus continues the story, but the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Right here, Jesus has added an element to the story that, that, that we've read it, and we know it, so we don't understand the full impact of it. The element of the story is also a rebuke. Because right here, in this moment, Jesus strikes at the core of Jewish prejudice. At Jewish bigotry. Samaritans and Jews were enemies, plain and simple. The historical divide between blacks and whites in America has gone on for 400 years plus. But the conflict between Jews and Samaritans in some ways began when Joseph's brothers threw him into the pit to be sold to the traitors. Joseph's descendants were the Samaritans. But this tension between the Samaritans and the Jews hardened even further and was well over 550 to 600 years old by the time that Jesus told this parable. So Jesus, in referencing the Samaritans in this moment, is a shock to the first hearers. But when Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story, he throws gas on simmering coals. They become defensive, I'm sure, in that moment. Later, Jesus asks the man, as we read, asks the lawyer, who is the better neighbor? And Ellen White says that the man was so prejudiced he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He simply said the one who showed him mercy. Jesus tossed fire on the coals. He's ready to, to expose their prejudice, their bigotry, and to confront them and to allow them to become defensive. And hopefully through defensiveness, they'll eventually get to conviction. Verse 34. 
The Samaritan went to the man and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 35, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Brothers and sisters, I hope without me even needing to point it out how applicable this story is to the issues being discussed right now in our nation. The pain and the fear and the anger of black America is feeling, they have been feeling this long before Ahmed Arbery. They've been feeling it long before George Floyd. This pain that they're feeling, uh, the, the need to address this pain is on us. Is on us. The pain and the fear of the parents of my son's, my oldest son's best friend is on on us the pain and the fear of our neighbors just down the road at Emmanuel Brinklow is on us the pain and the fear of the dozens and dozens of students and the multitude of teachers at our school that are black is on us the pain and the fear of one of our own staff members is on us at our church Ellen White testimonies of the church volume four any human being, listen to what she says, any human being who needs our sympathy and our kind offices is our neighbor. The suffering and destitute of all classes are our neighbors. And when their wants are brought to our knowledge, it is our duty to relieve them as far as possible. The wants and the needs and the hurt and the pain of the black community have been brought to our knowledge once again. We've heard it before, but this time it seems to be brought up in a whole new way. And it is our duty to relieve that pain as far as possible. And the parable of the Good Samaritan, along with, I believe, some commentary from the great book, Desire of Ages, shows us what it is, what is and what is not acceptable when people are hurting and in need. Let's begin with what is not acceptable. The first action that is not acceptable when our black brothers and sisters are hurting and in need is actually what the lawyer does. The Bible states he tries to justify himself. And as I said, the Greek indicates, means here that he is trying to make an excuse for himself, trying to excuse his own behavior or to say, I'm not the one responsible for this. This is what we do. This is what we do. And I'm going to say to our white brothers and sisters, when we shift the blame or try to justify the way that things are, we are doing what the lawyer did. This was written by a Seventh-day Adventist on Facebook. Listen to this. I believe 99% of whites do not unfairly oppress blacks or have any desire to do so. But when large percentage of blacks start hating on the 99% of whites that are being unfairly lumped into this racist category, it's going to cause a bad reaction. When people perpetuate the systemic racist or white privilege myths, it creates a divide and the myth is pushed closer to reality. Do you see what this person did? They said, Hey, Jesus, 
What does loving my neighbor really mean? Who is my neighbor? Is it the black person that calls me a racist? Because when they do that, really, they're just making the problem worse. It's on them. And the good Samaritan says, no, it's always on you. It's on you to address the need. Making an excuse for our actions is an unacceptable behavior. Making excuses, even if it was not our actions, is an unacceptable behavior. Just walking by without thought, like the priest does, is obviously an unacceptable response. Yes, he's keeping the letter of the law, but Jesus wants him to address the heart of the law. Caring but doing nothing is also an unacceptable response. Ellen White in Desire of Ages describes the Levite in this way. She said he was convicted of what he ought to do. The, the, the Greek uh, displays the idea of when it says the priest quickly passed by the man, but then the Levite saw the man, and there's actually a comma in our English Bibles indicating here a pause, and the Greek is showing a pause, that the man actually came and looked upon this man. He was convicted, Ellen White says, of what he ought to do, but it was not an agreeable duty. He wished that he had not come that way so that he need not have seen the wounded man. He persuaded himself that the case was no concern of his. Some of us wish we had never seen the video that we saw, not just because we're sad about the man dying, but because it just places on us this, this pale, this, this darkness. The man sees it, the Levite sees it, and he's convicted of what he ought to do, but he decides that it's not his problem, that there's nothing he can do, and he goes the other way. I like what Barclay wrote, our response must be practical and not just consist merely of feeling sorry. We've had white guilt long enough. Now it is time for us to act on behalf of the black community. And that leads us to acceptable responses. And by the way, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in future messages. Because too often we, within the white community, we maybe address it or acknowledge it at one time, but, but then we move quickly by and we forget about it. And I, in 2016, I spoke to us about this very topic, and, and yet I never spoke about it really again. And, and we need to stay in this moment for a while. Because what happened in 2016 is repeating itself in 2020. And what happened in 1968 and what happened in 1970s and what happened in 1992 and 93 with Rodney King and what is repeating itself in 2020. But the acceptable responses are more than words. That's the only acceptable response is more than words. More than, more than a feeling of more than more than a feeling of moral obligation, more than feeling just sorry. It must be a response of our hearts. Listen to this from the New International Commentary on the New Testament. The writer writes, the care of the Samaritan, the care the Samaritan offers is not a model of moral obligation, but of exaggerated action grounded in compassion that risks, that risks 
much more than could ever be required or expected. He stops on the Jericho Road to assist someone he knows does not, uh, someone he does not know in spite of the self-evident peril of doing so. He gives his own goods and money freely, making no arrangements for reciprocation in order to to obtain care for the stranger. He enters an inn itself, a place of potential danger for a Samaritan in Jewish territory. He entered into a monetary relationship with the innkeeper, a relationship in which the chance of extortion is high and it would be a Jew's word over a Samaritan's word and the Jew would be believed over the Samaritan because the Jews were above the Samaritans. My white brothers and sisters, are we ready and willing to respond in some real and concrete way with concrete actions on behalf of the black community? Not because we feel guilt. Not because we feel guilt. Not because we did or did not do anything directly, but because we love Jesus and his love demands such such actions. And that is the gospel actually right there. Here is the gospel. No race at this moment. All of us. All of us. We're the beaten Man, stripped naked on the side of the road. All of us were the robbed and half-dead man on the side of the road. And Jesus was the Samaritan. And through his action, through his own personal risk, his physical action, not just words, Jesus spoke a lot of good words, but but more than words, he went to a cross and died for us. Jesus, the Samaritan, dying for you and for me, the half-dead man on the side of the road, and for all humanity. How can I not then act when Jesus has done this for me? How then can I not act on behalf of every black person in this world when Jesus acted on behalf for me? How can I not? No work can save us. Listen to me. No work can save us. It can't. But if we are not willing to do this work, we can be pretty sure we are not saved. If we're not willing to end our silence, to stand up and to be proactive about seeking equality amongst all people of all races, That work will not save us, but if we're not doing it, we can be pretty sure we are not saved. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 12, whoever believes in me will do the works I have done. Jesus is the good Samaritan for all humanity. And and we're told that Jesus told this story in part to confront bigotry. In other words, Jesus was doing the work of confronting bigotry in his society. If you believe in Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, you will do the works that I have done, Jesus said to us. Whoever loves me keeps my commandments. By your fruits ye shall know them. We're not saved by our works, but if we're not willing to do this work, we can be pretty sure that we are not saved. 
Jesus went to a cross for me and for you. Will I go out on behalf of my black neighbors to work to make things right? If we are not willing as white people to stand beside and bless those in the black and brown community and to address their pain and their suffering of, of generations, we are not walking in a saved relationship. Maybe that won't be heard from me. Maybe you're already, guard is up. So I'll say it from one who has much more insight than I do. Ellen White, The Desire of Ages. Unless there is practical self-sacrifice for the good of others, this is found on page 504. Unless there is practical self-sacrifice for the good of others, wherever we may be, then whatever our profession we are not Christians. Did you hear that? Unless there is practical self-sacrifice, more than words, more than feeling sorry, more than just passing by and wishing that we could do something, unless there is practical self-sacrifice, whatever we may be, she says, we are not Christians. When we see human beings in distress, whether through affliction or through sin, we shall never say, this does not concern me. Christ has shown that our neighbor does not mean merely one of the church or faith to which we belong. This is continuing with Mrs. White. It has no reference to race, color, or class distinction. Our neighbor is every person who needs our help. Our neighbor is every soul who is wounded and bruised by an adversary. Our neighbor who is everyone who is the property of God. Our neighbor right now, brothers and sisters, is the black community. And we must stand up and become one in Christ on behalf of them. Jesus has laid the mission before us through the parable of the Good Samaritan. And now, at the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan, he gave an order to the lawyer, and the, and the command comes to us as well. Now, you go and do likewise. Lord Jesus, many of us have been silent in the face of the pain and the suffering of the minorities in our society. Many of us have, have not stepped forward because we're uncomfortable with the environments that that might bring us into. Many of us have been good letter of the law abiding citizens like the priest and the Levite, but Jesus, you call us to get to the heart of it. And we don't do this because we're good. We do it because you are good, Jesus, and because you died for us. And because you died for us, you tell us that if you confronted bigotry, we must confront bigotry. If you ministered to the Samaritan, then we must minister to the black community. If you were willing to suffer for us beaten on the side of the road, then we must be willing to suffer for those in our society that are suffering from whatever the adversary may have thrown at them. So Jesus, help us all to be good Samaritans.
I pray this, Jesus, and I ask you to do it through your power. Amen.